0: Welcome to the Principles of Success, Interviewing the Expert, and today's book review is a little different. We'll get to the actual episode here in a second, but I recorded a short series of books way back when on farming and homesteading kind of material, just because I was reading them anyway, and I saved them for this announcement, and I'm happy to announce the Zion Home Project. Now, I've already mentioned it in passing in previous episodes, but the Zion Home is a way to be self-sufficient in a collapsing world and still enjoy the 21st century lifestyle. So like having electric light bulbs and refrigeration and air conditioning and heating and flushing toilets and all that fun stuff. Now, a lot of you might not be interested in it. In, with recent historical events, there might be a bigger interest, but I know that's not the target audience for this podcast in general. However, if you have a curiosity, and I'm sure a lot of you do, that's what the next several books are about. And if you want to know more about the Zion home in particular, go check out my TikTok or YouTube. And they're both Nathan Dickerson, N-A-T-H-A-N-D-I-C-K-E-S-O-N. And on to the show. Welcome to the Principles of Success. Interviewing the experts And today's book review is Honoring the Pigness of the Pig by Joe Salatin. And the cool thing about Joe Salatin is that he is the mentor of Ty Lopez, which a lot of you probably know. And mentors are super important. Tony Robbins had Jim Rohn, Ty Lopez had Joe Salatin. And while I don't actually have any actual, actual mentors besides my parents, I ha- the nice thing about the internet is I have lots of digital mentors, and Joel Salatin is one of those. In fact, several of the books I plan on doing a review on is by him because he has a lot of really good business books that I really enjoyed. Okay, so how should I describe this book and explain to you why I think it's beneficial to you guys to hear the summary of it? Essentially, The Pigness of the Pig is a book on, I guess, honoring nature. Through a Christian lens, instead of an environmentalist's um, leftist lens, and honoring nature while in the production of food for profit. Like I already said, he was Ty Lopez's mentor. He is a business guy. He's also a farmer. But unlike a lot of industrial farmers who think they can spray chemicals all over the place, crowd animals into super tiny pens... Um, He thinks we have a moral obligation to treat the animals well as as making sure that we have plenty of food. And I'm recording all of these episodes for way in advance for when I do my launch, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode, but... This one just had a couple of really good points, and I thought I'd toss them out there. So that's enough of the frickin' intro. That's a frickin' long intro. I'm definitely gonna have to cut some of that out. But let's actually dive into the stupid book. So, point number one. We lost the moral high ground. Remember, this is a book directed towards Christian farmers. And Christians need to focus on health. So, we lost the moral high ground by completely ignoring... God's creation of this earth and thinking that we can alter it, spray it, kill it, and destroy it all for our own personal gain. Uh, We have dominion over the earth. That means we have a responsibility to take care of it, not seal animals in a box full of poison. So that's kind of the main first premise of the book. Next, animals move you're a farmer who wants to try and keep animals in a small spot, it's not going to work very well. Next one, a vegan isn't biblical. I think I've condemned vegans enough on this podcast for, for when we did the health episodes way back when, but from a Christian standpoint, veganism is also not biblical. And from a Latter-day Saint Christian standpoint, we actually have scripture that outright condemns eating only vegetables but it also condemns eating too much meat. Next one. We are eating poison and praying for health. God is a just God. If you ingest poison, you're going to be poisoned. Next note is the circle of life is a circle of death. So everything lives and dies. We got microbes, we got fungi, we got plants, we got animals, and everything is eating everything. And to think that you can... Live life with... This is going back to the vegan stuff. To think that you can live life without killing things. Without killing sentient things. Without killing things that feel things. Then you can't... Then you're not actually in base with reality. More animals die to produce an acre of corn than farm animals. Just because you have to kill all the birds, the worms, the moles, the voles. I actually don't even know what the difference between a mole and a vole is. But you all the mice all the bugs. You have to kill it all just to preserve the grain. So the circle of life is a circle of death. Next, rainbows. He loves this one, and I actually really love this analogy too. Go and catch a rainbow. It's not possible for us humans, but plants do it every day. They absorb sunbeams and turn it into matter. The earth is on a weight gain diet. It wants to grow bigger. It wants more carbon in the soil. So that way the plants benefit from it, and then the animals eat the plants, and so there's more animals on the planet. The Earth is on a weight gain diet. And humans will never be able to create a technology that can capture sunbeams more efficiently than plants. Next one. Each generation is tempted to take what nature has spent centuries building to use it for a quick buck. Now, this is a success podcast. I am an entrepreneurial, very focused person. But if you pillage all of your nation's resources for yourself, then you are a jerk to your grandkids. And unfortunately for us, we are at the tail end of a massive pillaging event, so we're the grandkids that got screwed over, as you guys are all well aware. So it's kind of up to us to restore restoration agriculture, that's kind of the whole point of these series of book reviews, and to regain the benefits for our children while also making a quick buck because you can do it for profit that's kind of the whole point of why i do what i'm doing when you prune grass it leads to faster growth baby grass diaper and diaper grass um so joel salatin has an analogy he likes to call because grass grows in three distinct stages there's the baby grass the teenage grass and the grandma grass the baby grass, it grows really slow because it's trimmed down. It's, it takes a little bit for it to get going. Teenage grass shoots up because it's a teenager. It goes way fast. And then grandma grass takes a little while to grow just a little bit more and then dies. Or in a grass's case, it starts to brown because it's done growing. It's like, well, we're done. Time to start forming some seed heads. And if you want to maximize the profit of a pasture, you need to make sure the grass stays within the teenage grass realm. That's why rotation works really well. And this is another environmentalist point. Using cows, he has a method called mob stocking, abbreviation, solar conversion, lynching, flic, lichenified carbon sequestration, fertilization. And basically, what that means is using the herd effect of ruminants cattle buffalo to create good soil which good soil equals nice profits and healthier environment farmers are addicted to pharmaceuticals artificial fertilizers g gmo patented seeds pesticides oil and when the cost goes up profits go down if you want to be successful in any business um but especially in businesses like farming where you're um Commodity, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Your prices are fixed. Your competitors are all the same price. You don't get to raise your prices because then you go out of business. When your prices are fixed, the only way to make a profit is by figuring out ways to minimize the cost of production. And for, in most cases, that means minimizing expensive inputs. And in farming's cases, that means buying expensive seed, buying fertilizers, by using Heavy industrial equipment for, with gas prices shooting up like crazy each year. And when all of those costs go up, your profits get wiped out. That applies for any business. Next, industrial chicken farmer has to spend millions to build a big facility before they're allowed to even grow one children and are under contract by the big chicken processors like Tyson. And they get to dictate how you run your business. Now, here's the question. Does that sound like freedom to you? Millions of dollars in debt, a contract telling you exactly what you have to do to be able to start a business. Oh, and before we move on, they can cancel at any time. They don't have to honor the contract with you. Industrial farming is modern-day serfdom, a.k.a. slavery. That's why most farmers, as of the recording of this, are over the age of 65. Because there's just no profit in it in industrial farming. There's no profit in it. There's no freedom in it. And for the most time, it's a pretty miserable job. And that's actually one of the reasons why I leaned into this subject matter. Was because when there's that big of a problem in a business sector, it's ripe for disruption. Which means it's ripe for lots and lots of profit if you figure out how to do it better. And that's what a lot of these books are actually about, is how to make money super cheap living out in the middle of nowhere, if that's your desire. Or if you're out in one of the many other countries that listen to this podcast and are trying to get up off your feet in a agricultural economy, which for my American friends is still, and European friends, is still a large, large portion of the world. Anyway, moving on. This is the next point that I thought was uh, super key. He doesn't dwell on it as much as I'm going to. Like, it was just a passing phrase. But what's the difference between a fruit tree and a shade tree in your backyard? What's the difference between pets and chickens in your backyard? Chickens can make excellent pets. They, At least that's what I've been told. I've never actually... I don't. I'm not a pet person, so... But chickens make excellent pets. They supposedly love to cuddle and purr just like cats and all that but that that was just basically his point it was like what's the difference between these two why shouldn't you do these i'm going to drive home the fact that especially a fruit tree is one of the best rois you can get on any investment ever if you own any sort of property you should plant a fruit tree a baby fruit tree costs usually it's like under 10 bucks or around 10 bucks Depred, depending on where you are and what kind of fruit tree you're planting. We'll just use apples as an example. I believe an apple tree is like for a two-footer is like 12 bucks. How much is a bag of apples? Granted, it'll take several years before the fruit tree starts producing a decent amount of apples, but once you get past like the second, third year, each year that fruit tree provides more than what the initial cost was. That's called a over 100% ROI each year and once it gets really mature you can sell it to sell the produce and make additional side income Like your kids can sell it Uh, Let's do actually a Lemon tree for the people who are in a lot of the tropical areas Lemonade stands are like the iconic business of America uh, For kids if you have a lemon tree they can make the lemonade real lemonade From the lemons in your backyard and that can be their starter business Chickens are an excellent side hustle kind of deal. That's actually how I first started stumbling onto this stuff, is because I was looking for quick side hustle stuff. And I originally, I decided between three different things. There was um, urban market gardening, chicken tractors, and a marketing agency. And if you guys have been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know which one I chose. So, when you have property, just to go back to it, when you have property, you should plant a fruit tree instead of a shade tree a fruit tree still provides shade my parents have these two giant pear trees that provide a excellent shady corner of the house and then every fall we would go and harvest a bunch of pears and canned pears and dried pears and have a bunch of um canned fruit and dried fruit for snacks but now to the back to the main actual book instead of going off on a tangent. So he listed several myths about farming. I decided to only pick a couple. Myth number one is that corn, or any grain for that matter, is more productive than prairie. You can produce more food, and more nutritious food, um, off of a mob stock rotational blah, blah 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 prairie than you can from a monocropping crop farm. And this is in every metric. This is in nutrition, this is in calories, this is... It's just more efficient to do cattle than it is to do grains. But it requires more thought process behind it. You can't just set it and forget it like a lot of grain. And then that was really the one myth that really stuck out to me. So we'll just move on from there. And the next point is government regulations. Keep the little guy out. Remember, I already talked about the industry is dying. Lots of money to be made if you can figure out how to get around the stupid government regulations. Because industrial producers are so nasty, like, fun fact, the chicken you eat is, its cells are so infused with feces that if you handle raw chicken for a prolonged period of time, your hands begin to ache because it's just so infused with feces. Industrial production is nasty, nasty. So because they are so nasty, government regulations require that they be Bathed in bleach bleach is also something that you must love eating so according to the regulations you have to have a hazardous hazardous treatment room which costs a lot of money if you want to sell anything in a grocery store so even though you might have chickens that are free range super healthy not covered in feces if you want to sell in a grocery store you have to be able to dunk their meat in bleach to be able to sell it there this is pretty much for all states in the U.S., pretty sure it's for most of, I'm pretty sure it applies, most of this applies to Canada, Australia, and Europe as well. And I think that covers like a good chunk of the population that listens to this. I just know that America's the worst about it. Next up, industrial farms infringe on their neighbors' private property rights. They spray poison in their air, toxify their water, erode their soils, and smell bad. I really don't have too much to say on this one. It just kind of ticks me off, and it ticks him off, and I'm sure it probably ticks off a lot of you, that a corporation, essentially, can destroy your health for their profit. Destroy your property value, because it stinks all the time, for their profit. A healthy farm does not stink, and that's his next point, is a healthy farm doesn't stink if, if it's functioning properly, and if you're doing things correctly, a farm does not stink, because stink only comes from rot. Manure is not rot. Stacks and stacks of manure is rotting, but manure is a great fertilizer. And then the last point is kind of a subject that we've already talked on in, um, I think, restoration agriculture, and that is uh, most farms are one-dimensional, and they can only support one small salary. This is going back to a success point. Multiple dimensions of farming can produce salaries for you, your kids, your, your friends. So if any of you want to move out to the middle of nowhere like I do and bring all of your family and friends with you, you can't do one-dimensional farming. You can't be profitable, like really profitable, one-dimensional farming. What is one-dimensional farming? I'm a wheat farmer. I'm a cattle farmer. I'm a one thing, and that is my only one thing. That's like in any other business of if you only do one thing, you don't have the opportunity to sell people on other products. It's a lot easier to get 100 customers that want to spend 1000 bucks with you than it is to get 1,000 customers to spend 100 bucks with you or 10 bucks with you. I think that's the correct math. I don't remember. Anyway, so a one-dimensional farm is very unprofitable. If you want to be profitable out in the countryside as a business person then you need a multidimensional industry. So, for example, you can run cattle and then chickens behind them, same acreage, about the same amount of labor, multiplying the profit. You can add trees to that, uh, and then they could be saw timber trees that you are planting for retirement 30 years from now, or they can be fruit-producing trees for additional revenue in a couple of years. You can add bees to your property follow, and they can pollinate and make honey. Bees don't require actual acreage, they just require plants on the acreage. That's all examples of stacking production. You could do mushrooms, you could do grains and then c- cattle coming in behind to clean up the grains. You can do heavy forestry with pigs. You can There's all sorts of stacking um, production on the same area to maximize profits. And then the second to last point is the scale of permanence. And I think we've talked about this before, but I'm not certain, so we'll talk about it again. The scale of permanence, there is essentially, some guy made a scale of how permanent everything is when it comes to your environment for production. So first is climate. The South is going to be hotter and have longer summers than Alaska. The east coast of America is going to be much wetter than the west coast. The west coast is a fire desert, and the east coast is a temperate rainforest. Europe is going to be different than Australia. Canada is going to be different than all the rest of them. So first off is climate. Next is geography. This is your, do you have mountains? Is it flat? Is it flat like Kansas, or is it rocky like Colorado? Is it full of big boulders or is it beach country or swamp country? And that actually goes into the next one, which is water. How much water are you getting? Like, are you on top of a mountain where there's not a whole lot of runoff? Or are you down in the swamps where the water all stops? Are you on the west coast where it's a desert? Are you on the east coast where it's a rainforest? Next is access. Oh, oh, and I forgot to mention that these are in scale of how permanent they are because you can adjust things slowly, but, but some of them are easier to adjust than others. So next is access. Do you have roads, do you have utilities, do you have the laws in your favor? If you're not allowed to do chickens in your backyard, like a lot of cities don't allow, well then backyard chicken production is not an option. Next up is trees. Trees you can plant. Trees also take a freaking long time to grow. Next up is buildings. Do you already have buildings? Do you have places to put buildings? Next is a fencing. It's kind of the same thing as buildings, but fencing is a lot quicker to put up, a lot quicker to tear down. Then there's a soil. And soil is what people think is one of the more permanent things, but you can modify your soil real easy. And in fact, one of the other books that I am recording in this batch of production, is um from dirt to soil by gabe brown and he basically talks about dirt for a long time but you can make your you can grow anything in any soil and then the last two i need to wrap up because this episode's going a little long the last two are energy and economy as gas prices continue to go up i'm recording this in the middle of the super gas hike of 22 um Production will get harder and harder to produce. Um, energy prices are going to continue going up. Electricity is going to continue going up. So you need to find ways to produce the energy that you need. And then economy. As long as b- one of the actual main reasons why I decided to lean into produce production, I guess, as a business aspect of un, un, as a business aspect under my portfolio. That's the word I was looking for, is portfolio. Is because people are always going to have to buy food. So, as long as the world doesn't completely, completely end, I will have a business in producing food. And then there's one last point, and then I'll actually continue it with the gay brown soil episode, but farmers make 10% of every dollar. If you want to be a profitable producer, I'll just use producer. Producer of goods. If you want to be a profitable producer, you need to capture as much of every dollar of production as possible. And this goes for farming, this goes for arts and crafts, this goes for pretty much anything. You want to capture as much of the dollar of the production as possible. And with that, I will end it here and continue on to the announcement section of this episode.